Well, good morning, everybody. So I'm going to uh, speak this morning um, about something that I feel like I, I got stuck in a place in Scripture when I say stuck. In other words, I kind of like, you could say I camped out there. I, I kind of like, I, I stayed there to where I was reading every translation I could like uh, turn to. And it's in, in Hebrews, in the middle of the book of Hebrews. And it's really fantastic. I was reading this and I don't know what brought me there. I kind of follow the leading of the Holy Spirit when he leads me, directs me to speak on a certain thing or, or a certain subject matter. We'll kind of do a whole theme. But then this one is, is interesting because I started uh, reading this and, and thinking about these subject matter and it's about maturity. Maturity in the Lord, and because this is where we're at, you know, we, we celebrated the greatest celebration of all time that we can celebrate still is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. And because of that, we have life. Because of that, we actually are here. And, and it's, all, this is, it's all about that. So th- what do we do next? We move on, right? I mean, we move on. We don't just stick there. We don't camp out there. But there's, So there's a moving on. And so I was uh, kind of... I don't know if this question came about somewhere in a conversation, but it was about a simple, th- a simple thing, um, just doing the right thing. Doing the right thing. Uh, have you ever been in conflict uh, or challenged or maybe just uh, not sure about what the right thing to do is? Okay, in any area of life. We could, if I could throw it out there, I'll blanket statement it. In area, any area of life. What's the right thing to do here? What's the right thing? Some of you might have even come to this really awesome place in your life where you just want to do the right thing with your whole life. Okay. Maybe one or two of you have come to this really awesome place where you just want to do the right thing with your whole life. Okay, cool. We had a few of you. That's, That's a little better. So it's a little challenging today. Have you not discovered this? And I'm not, I, I, to know what the right thing to do is. Hello? Um, so that's where I was camping out at in Hebrews. In fact, there's this distinction of chapters um, where Hebrews chapter 5 ends and Hebrews chapter 6 begins. Is, and not just my estimation, is a mistake. In other words, it's not a mistake in the Bible, what is written, but it's how they divided it. It shouldn't have been divided there. That's, uh, and I'm not the only one that thinks that, but that's okay. We could just move past that. We could overlook that. Hebrews chapter uh, 5, 14 says this. This is the end of the chapter. It says this. is um, uh, Solid food is for those who are mature. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Now, now right before that, he also says something that is interesting. He's he kind of, the writer of Hebrews is, it's almost Paul-like because it's a little bit like gritty and in their face kind of stuff. It's like, you know, talking about babies are the ones who really just stick to milk. Said, in fact, the, the, the whole chapter of five is like, you should be at a place where you're teaching others. Instead, you need to be taught again and again. All of the, old, the basics of your Christian walk, you need to be taught over and over and again. In fact, you should be going out and teaching others these things. In fact, he said that, that, that milk is what babies drink because they need that nourishment from their mother. And it's really, that's, and that's their level of maturity is where they just simply are stuck in milk mode. Um, Robin was telling me the other day about a, a woman who was in the thrift store. It had about a three-year-old baby that was still breastfeeding. And that was like, oh, okay, that's, I'm not going to, whatever, but that's just like whatever, kind of weird, huh? Hello, am I the only one? Maybe I'm not the only one. Maybe that's normal for somebody, but I'm thinking that baby ought to be, that's got, that baby's got teeth, ought to be eating some veggies, ought to be eating some, I mean, I mean, even hot dogs, you can eat something. I mean, and I'm not saying that they, the baby didn't or doesn't, but there's a time to move on to maturity. Hello? Um, if, if, you're, if you're walking around and you're a teenager and you're sucking on a bottle, that just looks weird. I, I, I'm not, I, 
I almost, what's that? I almost feel like I got to like check myself. I got to be politically, it, like, it's okay to do that. No, it's not. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and she was only like a year old and she, yeah, just give me bacon. Give me bacon. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of a, is, is Noel and Kinsey teaching in class? Oh, okay. Yeah, that was one of the requirements. It's been a requirement of every one of my children to, that's the first thing I go to ask, like in their dating or their choosing of a spouse is like, do you eat meat? <laughs> if you went that V word, just start looking somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, because you won't fit in this family. Yeah, you have a lot of issues. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yes. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, the Bible says to eat meat. I mean, he says, that's, he says it right there. Babies are the ones that drink milk, but mature eat meat. I, uh, Bill Johnson and I get along this way in every area. Like, and it's, I mean, in fact, it's a, it's a, his, his lovely wife has been sick, and uh, she's a vegan. And I don't know if you know Bill Johnson up at Bethel Church. He's a pastor up there. Massive, massive following of a church. And, and he's a hunter and a meat eater, and his wife is a vegan. And they, it's, a, it's a conflict constantly, and that's okay. I think they get along well with it. What am I going here with this for? Because I think this is interesting to talk about this, is what, what maturity in the Lord looks like. And... and um, because the, the, the distinction in the chapters, again, I'm going to go here because I want to read Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1. He says this. He says, so let us stop going over the basic teachings. This is in the New Living Translation. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. And let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding." Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Do you see what he did there? The writer of Hebrews, he actually did this something that I think is really interesting, is that, that he, he makes this interesting and direct correlation between maturity and the ability, not just from here, but in verse 14, that's why I said we needed to uh, read them both together, from maturity and immaturity, but also the ability to be able to see the difference and recognize what is right and what is wrong. If you can look at this, it's like he's... he's, he's uh, He's taking, there's a, there's, here's a, a foundation, if you will, a foundation that is laid in the basics of your walk, of your faith. The basics of your faith is laid. And if you step into that foundation and plant yourself on that foundation and grow from that foundation, from that foundation is where you'll find yourself growing in truth and maturity. But here's what happens is, and this happens and it can happen so easily is we can kind of just do a little sidestep and the foundation is there in our life, but we're not necessarily standing on it any longer. We're standing on something that is a little smoother, maybe, maybe a little softer to the buttocks, you know, cause it's, it's, it's to set your butt on. Can I say that in the room? Yeah, I can. I did. It's too late to set your, your hiney. On concrete is not that comfortable. Right? So give me a padded chair. Give me something that is cushy to my tushy, right? So so if I if I go there and then I start to grow from there, get, but guess what's gonna happen? The foundation that is meant to hold you steady and still and stable is there, but you're not standing on it. Instead, you're growing from a place of instability. You're growing from a place that is a little shaky 
Because, and, and it comes down to this thing that, like, distinguishing between right and wrong. How many in the room, and I just want you to be totally honest, have ever been confused, or maybe just, maybe that's a harsh word to use because we say, oh, I'm, I, I know, I know stuff, but uh, especially teenagers, you know everything, right? Uh, how, it, it's just hard to distinguish, it's difficult to know what right and wrong is in certain situations. It, it, it's tough, right? It's really tough sometimes. And he he's lays it out for us if it's from the foundational, fundamental basics of your faith, of your walk with God, you'll be able to, if you're trained in that, you'll be able to distinguish. You'll be able to identify. And you'll be able to understand and know what the difference is between the right and the wrong in certain situations. Hello? Isn't that one of our, one of our struggles sometimes as a Christian, just to know what the right and the wrong is to do? It really is, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, sometimes the wrong doesn't seem wrong. Sometimes it seems right. Um, it could be. Uh, I, I wrote this down, so I'm going to read it because it's really good. <laughs> Not just because I wrote it, but because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that sounded a little bit. Off. That's it. And this is good. It's, I'm wondering. I, this is what I wrote. I'm wondering how much, how much, of any of us really do understand and know the right and wrong, the difference between right and wrong, unless we are grounded and stable and sticking with the basics of our faith. I know that seems simple, and I just said that stuff, but. Um, I had an incident happen this week, and I'll share it with you. It was, it, I'm going to tell you, I was in a really good place when this happened, and I'm glad I was in a good place when this happened. In my spirit, in my soul, my mind, my heart, because um, it made me laugh, and I, you, you might laugh with me too, but um, I was driving in my, our, our box truck and has Salt Maid name on it, so I'm always understanding and very, very conscientious about the name on the truck and the representation in this community. So I was, I, and it's not that I don't disregard my driving <laughs> tactics when I don't have the name on the truck. I do. I try to. People all know about my other truck too, so I'm like, damn, everybody knows my vehicle, so it's kind of nice when I get to go incognito. Anyway, um, <laughs> So, so I was driving, and there's this road. It's called Groveland, and it's a, there's the, the Lincoln Crossing Clubhouse. It's over um, in Lincoln Crossing. Groveland crosses from, from Joyner Parkway over to uh, um, Ferrari Ranch Road. In fact, it's, there's this little, like, curve, and it, it's a shortcut. Not really, but it's a... And so there's this, this road that goes that direction. And at each and every one of the lights, there's a red light. But there's also this red light that they've installed within the last few years. I th can't remember when, but it was a while ago. That is no turn on red. And it's a big red arrow with a light. No turn on red light. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, cool. Everybody knows where you're, you're there. Awesome. I don't, that's good. So I pull up to, this, to the first light. And I'm th I'll just go the shortcut, whatever. And there's like absolutely nobody in the intersection. Nobody. And there's, I don't know, three or four cars behind me, and I'm the first one, and I'm in my truck. And I'm just sitting there waiting. Nobody in the intersection. But the light is red, and I cannot go. It says, do not go on a red light. So I cannot go on a red light. And I obey the law. And I sit and wait. Okay, it turns green. Sweet. I get to go over to the next light. Sit and wait. No worries, no problem. I ain't got nothing to do today. I'm just like, just minding my business. So I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and, it, and it finally turns. I'm like, okay, cool. I'll get to go. And I, I have a destination. It was over there. So as I, I get on the road and I'm turning, I'm, and this is exactly what happened. I'm not, I'm not kidding you one single bit. 
this car just zips around from me, like, and he's blaring on his horn. And, and he's like, was it you? No, it wasn't you, because... <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, what, what, what's going on? And, and I really was confused for a second. What's going on? And he's doing a lot of stuff with his hands, you know, I'm number one and all this stuff. And, 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 and I'm like, what, what just happened? I'm like, and so then he hurried, of course, and then the next light, he has to stop, and I pull up beside him, and I'm on the, he gets over, and, he's, and, and so I get up beside him, roll up, and it's like, what, what's the problem? What's the issue? You know, uh, you, you hunk at me, I'm going to, like, basically respond. I was in a good place. I really was. I really was. And he proceeded to roll his window down, and he's still giving me hand gestures, and, and so I'm like, What's the problem? What's going on? And, and it, or, or, that's all I said. What's your problem? And he's like, don't you know that you could turn right on a red? There's nobody in the intersection. And I just almost died laughing. I am not joking. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you, you didn't see the red, red light. Yeah, because my truck was in the way. And I'm just laughing, and I was just like, Oh, man, I was like, no, that, there's another light that, that supersedes. I just like, I basically, he rolls up his window, still telling me how I'm number one. And I'm just like, wow. And now I'm just rolling in my truck. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm laughing. And I felt a little bad because I made the guy so angry. And all I did was the right thing. I just did the right thing. But do you see where there was this, in his whole mind, heart, body, and soul, I was in the wrong. I mean, I was an idiot. I mean, there, there was other names I was called, but I didn't know how to drive. You should learn how to drive if you're going to be driving a big truck like that. And I mean, all these things. And I'm like, he really believed that he was in the right. And I was totally in the wrong. And I deserved every bit of that onslaught of stuff. Do you see what I'm saying? So, so there are these places in life. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, so some way, well, gosh, it was obviously, Eric, you were in the right because you were just obeying the law. It's like, well, yeah, if you read the, the handbook, it says if, if there is a light that says no turn on red, that supersedes the other law that says you can turn on a red light. Well, something was hindering his view from seeing that light. And I, I, No, because he was really convincing me that I was an idiot driver. And that I was not understanding the rules of the road. He was really, really trying to convince me that I did not know the rules of the road. Well, I used to tell, I still do, tell all of my kids is like, a saying I would say that even, 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 that's a good one. Would you rather be right or rather be happy or rather be at peace? Um, you know, the, the saying I'd say is, is, um, is uh, sometimes being right doesn't make it right to ruin a relationship over. And, and so there's sometimes there's things that we could do that, like, even if you are right, if it's going to ruin a relationship, then you're in the wrong. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Challenging for a lot of people, even myself. So we move on from here. We move on from here. And this is, I want to just, I want to hit these basics because I think that this is super imperative as a Christian to understand these basics. I, I listed them, or the, the uh, writer of Hebrews listed them in chapter six. So, there, and there's six of them. And I'd like to hit them because I, I really do believe that as we, as we um, uh, kind of, purpose ourselves to do the right thing for the glory of God, by the power of God, in the name of Jesus, we really do need to, it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to come from a place that's 
true and good and correct. Hello? Because if it doesn't, if we, if we just are coming from what I feel like is right, then we're coming from that soft, cushy place that is gonna, we're gonna, it's gonna be crooked. It's gonna be tainted, slanted, twisted, because it's gonna have me in the midst of all of it. And when I put me in the midst of whether it's right, what am I doing? I'm twisting it because it's right for me. Hello? And, and, and it, where the right thing is based in truth and pure goodness and rightness, then it's going to always be right. Does that make sense? I mean, and we see it in our culture today. We see it in our, in, and it's not, I, I, I need to say this, it's, it's not anything new under the sun. I mean, even Cain, the very first sibling that committed the heinous sin of killing his brother, it was right to him. He deserved it. So this goes way back. The issues that we have about life and doing the right thing in life go all the way back to the beginning. So when I say it's not, nothing new under the sun, I mean, this isn't something that's surprising God. And it shouldn't ought to surprise us, but we should ought to and we need to be about planting ourselves in the basic foundations of the truth of who God is, who we are in that, and the truths of, the I'd say, the fundamental truths of our faith. Um, or else we'll grow crooked and twisted. And that's what's happening a lot. Think about, I mean, how many of us are dealing with people in our lives that buy into the struggle or the real issue of whether it's gender, the gender issue, whether it's our sexuality issue. Those things are, and I, here's something that I have noted, and I've noted, I've paid attention to it as much as I can in my own, my own doing, my own being, is everybody that really has the issue and wants to promote gender the, the issue of gender um, choosing or, or uh, um, our sexuality, it's because there's somebody in their life, in their family that's struggling with it. So they either have to accept it as the right thing or they have to plan it somewhere else. And I know that's a hard thing to swallow because I, I don't think there's anybody in the room. I remember when, I remember it was about 30 years ago, somebody said something like, there's going to be a day when, when, you know somebody or you're related to somebody that's, that's either dealt with or struggling with or in the midst of homosexuality. And I thought that was insanity because it was so few that I knew, that we knew. And now it's like that is so norm now. And it's like, wow. So to go here is I know it's, I'm, I'm not going to say it's risky, but it's real and it's right and it's correct. It's where we need to go because in order to grow and to grow true and to grow well, we need to be planted in the foundational truths of our faith. And these six things are really simple. So I'm going to just hit them really quick. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in them other than they're, they're really good. And, and, uh, and then we move on into the mature areas of life. Of course, we're not going to do that this morning because it's like, well, that's, we can talk about everything and anything forever, and, it's, and we will and we shall. But let's plant ourselves in these, um, these fundamental foundational truths. Because he says this, repentance. This is one of them. Repentance from evil deeds. Or another translation will say dead works. Or just repentance. Um, and uh, one of the translations says it's a turning away from our wrong deeds. So there's an actual action involved in repenting. This ought to be a fundamental foundational truth of our walk with God is there's actual turning away from sin and going the other direction. Turning away from the wrong thing and going the other direction. In other words, it, it, teenagers, there's, I know there's one. Any other teenagers in the room? Okay. You all were a teenager at one time. Yes? Yes, pretty sure. I'm 100% sure. 
What was the thing that we do and we did as a teenager that probably used to just really just rile up and irk our parents more than anything? You would say sorry when you got caught just to get your mom to stop hounding you about it. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry already. Leave me alone. I said I was sorry. Like, is that repentance? Absolutely, 100% not. And you see how this is a, this is a fundamental foundational truth that is, is a part of our faith is, is, is that's, it, okay, I'll say it this way. If you haven't repented lately, check yourself because you probably really need to. In other words, repentance is a normal part of the Christian walk. It's a normal doing in being a follower of Jesus. Because only Jesus did it right. Hello? The rest of us got to fall in line with him. In other words, we got to all do a little bit of turning around and going towards him. Amen? Amen. Come on. That was a good one. I like that. <laughs> so there, it's, it's, a, it's a foundational, fundamental truth that we, it, and we just need to embrace but we can only do that in humility um, uh, we will only repent when we're humble of course we'll only repent when we see the need to repent so there's something that's happening inside there it's called the Holy Spirit doing some work letting us know shedding some light on an area of our life that maybe I need to go a different direction in amen all right that's a, that, I'll, I'll do a little subtle amen with that one that one's a good one uh, faith, faith towards God, which is, this is, it's, it's the, some of these, they, they just kind of like, they, they piggyback on each other. Because a repentance is turning away from sin, faith is turning towards God. I'll go this way. Faith is, okay, I was this way, and I'm repenting, I'm turning this way, and now I'm walking towards God. How about that? I, and it seems so simple, but, but there's, there's action involved. There's, you know, James, he says a whole bunch about it. Faith without works is dead. In other words, faith without a movement, a movement is a dead faith. Just as being sorry without actually repenting is really no, it's, in fact, um, in Corinthians, Paul writes it as actually a, a, a sorrow that brings about death as opposed to a sorrow that brings about life. That's heavy. So there's a faith that, that, that is causing us to move towards God. Amen? And that's a walk. It's a walk by faith. Turning towards Jesus and walking by faith in his direction, trusting him step by step. That his ways are better than my ways. His thoughts are better than my thoughts. And as I line myself up, not just in my mind, I go that direction in my entire being. So there's this faith that he's talking about is requiring action. Amen? It's a walking. Baptism. And that's, this is one of the other fa fundamental foundations of our faith. Baptism. And he says there's multiple baptisms. He, it's, it's a plural word there that he uses. So even today, talking about water baptism. Um, at baptism... Identif identification with Jesus is real, it's irrevocable, forever into eternity. It is a, it's that which is a going down under the water as the old self coming up out of the water as the new self. There's something that I, I could share this in the room because I, I believe we have some uh, mature people. Uh, <laughs> most of us, if not all of us, I believe. There's something that happens right now in our day and age over in Iran uh, that if I'll share this with you guys because this is interesting. Um, if somebody is converted to Christianity, a Muslim is converted to Christianity over in Iran, they're subject to the law of being executed. It's against the law to be other than Muslim, anything other than Muslim over in Iran right now. And so if somebody gets converted, somebody receives Jesus and converts to Christianity over there, you are now breaking the law of the land there. You are breaking their law. 
So here's what, you, here's what, the, here's what happens is um, you can actually have a Bible, but if you get caught with that Bible, you can simply say, I'm studying it so as to disprove and to, to help, to help other, Christ, other people who claim to be Christians to understand so that I could show them that there's untruths in it and get away with it, okay? If you get caught going to a fellowship, a church, so to speak, a underground Christian church, you could say, well, I'm going there to scout it out. I'm not really a part of it. And even if you get caught speaking to a pastor of a Christian, a Christian pastor, which they're very far and few between because they get executed frequently, is you can say, well, I'm, I'm talking to him about helping him to understand what the Muslim faith is, and I want to know where he's coming from so I can basically um, trap him or convert him. So you see how there's a reason and there's an explanation to do all these things that Christians do in America all the time, right? We read our Bible, should. We go to church, yes. You talk to your pastor, you fellowship with brothers and sisters, right? And it's perfectly legal and normal and right and good. But here's something that happens over there. If you get baptized as a Christian, if you are baptized as a Christian, you either got to hide constantly or be executed. Because that's making the statement that you no longer identify with the Muslim faith, I identify with Jesus. And there is no explaining it away. There's no excusing it. It is what it is. I don't know how about you, but that like gives me shivers of like, wow, it's a real thing. It's not just this cute little thing that Christians do. It's a real proclamation to me connecting to, not just connecting to, but I am a part of Jesus. Jesus is a part of me. That's awesome, isn't it? Hello, that's really cool. I just wanted to share that with you guys because it means something. It means something. And then there's baptism, other baptisms. There's a baptism by fire, which is really a, a testing. God puts us through testing, times of testing. Amen? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to really make you amen that. I don't think anybody wants to amen testing by fire. It's never usually any fun. But what it produces is something awesome and actually glorious. Because a testing by fire is where we get to the pure gold. Of your faith. Amen? That's an amen. Hallelujah. There we go. A baptism into kingdom service. Um, in other words, it's uh, when we are baptized into the kingdom of God. Another, uh, there's a, there's an, a submersion, if you will, complete immersion into the work of the kingdom of God. And it, and it, it has all different flavors, sizes, um, and, 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 and even all races, colors, it doesn't matter because we're all in the kingdom service. And when we're in that kingdom service in different works, whether they're, they're works like what I'm doing here or works like feeding people, works from, from giving to the works, those are all kingdom service works. In other words, you're not just an outside bystander any longer. You're baptized into the kingdom work. God has perfectly and distinctly placed you into his kingdom for a purpose. Hello? I need to look at every single one of you and tell you that that is absolutely true. You are somebody, you matter to the kingdom, and God's got a plan and a purpose for your life to have an impact in God's kingdom. Amen. That's so true. So we're baptized into kingdom service. And yeah, we're, we're seem like we're always still trying to figure that out, right? The, the, the thing I would like to encourage you is to do what's right in front of you and, and God will direct you to do something if it's a little bit different than that. Just get busy doing God's work. Like Jesus said when he was 12, didn't you know mom and dad I'd be about God, my, God, my father's business? It's like, hello. He was baptized into the kingdom work. Amen. And then, of course, baptism in the spirit, which is uh, simply a, an anointing, a filling of the Holy Spirit to where God is... We are full of the Holy Spirit, so much so to overflowing. That's awesome. And we sometimes sense that in our worship, in our time together. Uh, as we lift his name up, there can be an overflowing of his spirit. 
that comes over us that, that actually empowers us to just really, just really believe what we're singing and really believe what we're hearing to where we put it into effect and we actually do something about it. That's a baptism of the Holy Spirit where God's Holy Spirit is moving in you and through you and overflowing out of you. Amen? That's good. So let's go on then because this is actually, I think it's, it's a neat one, is the laying on of hands is a, is a fundamental foundational truth of our faith or the anointing. The laying on of hands is like baptism in the sense that it, it's an act of obedience requiring a giver and a receiver. To bat, you, know, you must, uh, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody baptizing themselves. It would be called a, a dive. Yeah, Jesus, that's a good point. Thank you, Blake. Jesus couldn't even do that. So we do need a partnership. It needs to be a part of a community work. And it's the same with the anointing or the laying on of hands. What's really cool about this is, a, is I believe, as a fundamental foundational truth, is the anointing or the laying on of hands is about kingdom work. Because what it is, is what it's involving is this passing the mantle, so to speak. It's uh, um, as, as pastor of this church, what God did in me and through me was, of course, I was, the mantle was passed on to me from Glenn. Now, as Glenn and I ministered in service the, together, and, uh, as ministers and pastors, we were partnering, we did it together, but there's, there's this entire thing that was happening that there was uh, an identification. I'm just sharing my experience because it's something that I think it's good for all of us to understand it, that it wasn't about, Glenn never made it about himself, like this is my dynasty, and I never make it about myself, like this is my church or my ministry. It's not mine, it's his. There is no my ministry in ministry. If you say that word Check yourself, because it's not correct. There is no my ministry. There is an anointing. There is a, a filling. There is a laying on of hands. But, but see, the whole time that I've stepped into the lead role of pastor, the whole time I was looking, praying for the person that was coming behind me. Because if I just make it about me, it's like, well, what, what's going to happen when I'm gone? Will the work die if I leave, if, if I made it all about me? Okay, that was a rhetorical question. In other words, the answer is yes. If I make it about me, the work dies with me. Does the kingdom die with me? Okay, come on. These are really simple. They're simple questions. They, 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 there's only one answer to them. The absolute answer is no. So it's this, it's this awesome understanding that this isn't, has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God getting glory and people being saved and God so choosing to use me to use the next person to use anybody that he sees fit and if I can be just that that little conduit that little space and place in time and dimension to where I am a an, a, an effective work of light shedding and spreading the light and casting out the darkness. That's all I desire to be. And I want to see others come in behind me. Do a greater and more marvelous work. I'm so hungry for stuff to happen. God to move. And I don't care if I'm in it or not. I just want to see God move. Hello? But that's what it means to a laying on of hands. It's this understanding and real reality to... It's way bigger than me, and it's not about me. Hello? If we don't have that as a fundamental foundation of our truth, well, what will we do? Make it about me. I don't know how many people have tried to, they've stepped in and tried to come in and say, well, I guess you got the ministry now. It's like, what? This is, no. Like, it's, if you want it, you can have it. I mean, that's, it's like I've had so many people try to do that, take that route. And do you know what happens is that's always the person that God overlooks because it's all about them. 
But when it's not about me at all and it's all about him, that's who he chooses to use. So it's really imperative and important for us to see that as a fundamental truth of how ministry happens and how kingdom work takes place. It's not about us. It's about God and God using us where he sees fit. Come on, that's a big amen. Amen. And then the last two are really kind of, they connected together. The resurrection, we just celebrated Jesus' resurrection. And it's really awesome because through the same power of God, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead will raise us from the dead. That's a hope that is not, um, how do I say it? it it's, it's not based on just wishful thinking. It's based on fact and truth. And the real, real reality of our faith is that we believe because we know we will be raised with Jesus. We will be raised with Jesus. And in, in that, knowing that this life is, is temporary, come on, because we need to know that. We need to remind each other that this life is very temporary. And it's not eternal. This stuff, this stuff of this world is good. Enjoy it. it but it's not everlasting. But he is. And the work we do is with him. And that carries into the, uh, the judgment, which is interesting. Um, a lot of people don't like to talk about judgment. I, I understand it. And I get it. But there's two that we are sure of, two judgments that we are absolutely 100% sure of because they're in the Bible. Um, I didn't list the verses of them, but um, one of the, the first one is the white throne judgment, or known as the great white throne judgment. Uh, and that is the judgment that every single human being, every single soul will come under, which is whether or not you know Jesus or not. And, and that, that judgment is whether or not you're saved or not. That's the one that even Jesus is referring to, the separation of the sheep and the goats. So that's the judgment that, that takes place that he actually says it as, as every single person is sure or destined to die once, and after that you face this white throne judgment. So every single person, every single soul, every single human being is subject to the white throne judgment. That that should do something to us, right? It should do something inside of us that says, well, gosh, I love people. Okay, let's just start with maybe two people that you love in your life. Okay, let's make it real simple. Two people. I'm sure everybody in the room loves at least two people. Maybe one person. Okay. (laughs) And that one person, if you really love them, you will want to spend eternity with them and want them to spend eternity in heaven with you. So what that does is like, okay, now let's take it a little deeper. Two people. What about strangers if we dare go there? I can't help it, but so many times in my life and different things, I'll be, I'll be even like it, and, and, and God forbid, I'm going to say the word, I'll be even at Disneyland and thinking about that person's soul that just walked by or just standing in line, and it's like, because it's like that's the most important thing is the eternity of our souls. And I, and I asked the Lord, is there some way or some place or some way that that person can hear the gospel, use me as you see fit? And that's not, that's not me. That's a, that's, we're weird, aren't we? I mean, that's a little weird. Peculiar, I'll use that word. That's a little peculiar, but it's real because it's a, that's, that's what it does to us to understand that there's a real judgment that's going to take place. Every single one of us are subject to it. And, and that's the thing that, that ought to cause our heart to hurt a little bit for those that we know that are refusing and rejecting Jesus, or a lot of it, I should say. 
but also encourage us to share the love of Jesus everywhere we go, at any given time, in season or out of season. And then there's the Bema Seat judgment, which is the judgment that is for you and I who say that we follow Jesus. Do you know that? That there's a judgment for us that say we follow Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we love Jesus, and we accept Jesus into our life. That judgment is the judgment that we will, that we will face and we will deal with, and we'll have to deal with it. It's on what we did then with Jesus after we knew Jesus. And that's the one he tells a lot of parables about the, the talents that are given. Um, and, you know, What did you do with that which God gave you? Did you dig it in the ground, bury it, and do nothing with it? Did you actually invest it and do something with it? And that's when he says that, that's, that there's a judgment in there that's called the Bema Seat judgment. And you know where the Bema Seat comes from? It's an interesting phrase. It's a... It's a, it's a Christian term that we've hijacked. Do you know where it comes from? Oh, thanks, thanks for asking. I, um, it actually comes from uh, in the uh, it was in the in the Olympics in the the Olympians they would in the Roman Olympics. Paul uses the word the, the word the same word in the Roman Olympics is is it was the 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 judge of the competitions would sit on a seat. Or a stand that was higher than the race. So he could see higher than everything and see it clearly. So he could see into the race that was taking place. And when the race was finishing, he had a clear view of who finished first, second, or third. And so the Bema seat was that one place that as soon as the race was finished, the judge would come down off the Bema seat and place the medal on the first, second, or third winner of that race. So he got off the Bema seat to give their rewards to. So that's pretty cool because that's, that's what God is. It's, it's a real reality. And maybe you don't like that. Well, I'm saved by grace and it doesn't matter what it is. I, yeah, that's true. But you're also called to be salt, to be light. You know, in Hebrews, like where I got stuck with was in that passage I, scared, I shared Scared in my text. It didn't scare me. It was really good. It was a good passage. He talks about the rain being poured out on God's people, showering us with blessings so that we can do what? Sit and soak it all up? Yeah, soak it up. But what's it meant to do? Produce a crop. Produce a greenery. Produce the fruit. It's meant to cause growth in you. It's meant, it's designed, God's pouring into you so that you can grow and pour into others. Hello? Gosh, you guys know I love that because I just, it's almost like on a weekly basis, it's something I mentioned. is like God's blessings are for you to receive, but not just to keep for yourselves. They're for you to give. And that's the fruit that God's given, That's God's expecting you to give. And that's so cool. And you know what? That's what he's saying is you'll actually be held accountable for that. All that I've blessed you with, what'd you do with it? What'd you do with it? Okay. But too gritty? I'm sorry. Let's move on. And, and this is a great, I'm going to finish with this passage in Scripture. It's Hebrews chapter 6, 7 through 12. And this is the, the Passion Translation. It's one, that, it's one that's fun for me to read. And I like how it words it sometimes. And this is, this is a, a good place. It says this, For men's hearts are just like the soil that drinks up the showers which often fall upon it. Some soil will yield crops as God's blessing upon the field. But if the field continues to produce only thorns and thistles, a curse hangs over it and it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, beloved... I like this. We are fully convinced that there are more beautiful and ex excellent things which flow from your salvation. For God, the faithful one, is not unfair. How can he forget the beautiful work that you have done for him? He remembers the love you demonstrate as you continually serve his beloved ones for the glory of his name. But we long to see you passionately advance 
until the end and you find your hope fulfilled. So don't allow your hearts to grow dull or, or lose enthusiasm, but follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. Amen? Let's pray and worship the Lord. Worship team, is, come on up. Father God, we're just blessed today. We're so thankful that you are so good. You are good beyond our even understanding, our explaining, even our speaking. Your goodness pursues each and every one of us. And that we thank you. Thank you that your love is real. Your love is true. And your love is right. And you are fair. And we ask in Jesus' name, by the mighty power and working of your spirit, that you grow us. You plant us on the foundational truths. You plant us right where we need to be and you continue to grow us. Grow us up in you. Grow us up in you. We ask you encourage us when we need encouragement. We ask you convict us where we need conviction. We ask that you empower us where we need strength. Oh, and you settle us when we need peace. We ask you, Jesus. You, Jesus. To just continue to work through us. That we may be light in a dark world. That we may have a distinguishing understanding of right and wrong when there's so much confusion that will be a plumb line, a guide for those who are looking, for those who are looking for actual truth. They may find it. Find it in you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.